0: So what new steps are some healthcare organizations taking to improve their data breach preparedness? I'm Marianne Kolbisak McGee, Executive Editor of Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Hussein Saeed Sisso of RWJ Barnabas Health. Hussein will be speaking to us about steps his organization is taking to improve its data breach preparedness. Hussein, very briefly describe for us what your breach preparedness program consists of and what changes or improvements you've been making recently.
1: So as you know, healthcare has somehow become a target for uh, ransomware and other type of breaches, perhaps due to the value of PHI or patient health information that we store for a number of patients that visit our facilities. So that's prompted us to do a number of risk assessments, or we we'll call them focused risk assessments, in areas where we could identify gaps of potential breaches or compromise of data or systems and are taking steps to implement new tools, processes, procedures, policies, as well as training to educate the users and also augment that with technical controls so that nobody can break into the systems or infect the systems. So that, those are some of the things that we're doing. They take quite a bit of time. you know. Some of these efforts go on for months in order to prepare, design, and implement solutions. And, for example, some of these are you know, micro-segmentation of networks or uh, installing newer DDoS or web application firewalls and a few other have solutions that we have implemented. Also, you're doing risk assessments around where the beaches could take place and then preparing or developing your incident response programs around those so that what people can do is understand actually what can happen or how could an intruder get into your network or your systems. So primarily demonstrating that on a bigger scale as an incident response group, including departments from different areas within the organizations to understand how breaches take place. What is the Lockheed Martin kill chain and how does it work and what can be done to control the infection or if somebody is uh, able to get into your systems, how they are prevented from getting out. So for example, if the, an infection gets into your system, you can make sure that outbound traffic is locked down so they're not able to get into the get back to their home base to receive any command and control activity. Those are some of the things that can also be done. Additionally, the bigger item is to know where your weaknesses are and using the breach assessment in a way that will identify those areas, and then you can simply figure out what you have already done as a baseline controls and what are some of the enhanced controls and how they help, and then looking at some of the advanced controls. So basically, for example, if you have an Indian access management program in place, you know how you process user provisioning and deprovisioning of users as they get hired or they move around in the organization or they leave the organization. And then you have people whose access needs to be monitored just because you want to make sure that somebody's not misusing their account. Not from their perspective, but if somebody's compromised their account, could be misusing it. And how do you identify that? And thirdly you have lots of medical devices medical equipment in the healthcare environments which are used for particular uses and cannot be have any interference with installing DLP data leak protection or antivirus software on it or patch it on a regular basis because some of the patches that are been installed on those systems have to be tested properly so that they don't interfere with the medical data communication or processing of whatever diagnostics those systems are doing. So those need to be isolated into networks or areas where they are protected, yet they can communicate with other systems whenever they need to. So some of these things can help build a sort of a strategic plan could be a multi-year plan, depending on the size of the organization, to do things that will allow you to build a defense in depth or protection layers so that when you get to an end goal, you know that you have multi-layer defense in your environment. Your environment is not just one big network. It has multiple layers. It has multiple networks doing different type of functions. Also, uh, the bigger area that you want to focus is in terms of how you have your incident response plan built? What type of members are in their incident response team? What are their skill sets? And how often do they work with the security operations people? And you can also have some sort of what we call now cyber technical analytics type of control. So these are folks who have a lot more in-depth understanding of ethical hacking, uh, intrusion detection systems so that they can be on your network and continually monitoring and assessing how things are taking place on the network, so they have a very good understanding of what happens on the network. And when they monitor, and they get an alert that is deviating from that their baseline, they can quickly start investigating that. And the quicker you contain a an incident, easier it becomes, or manageable it becomes, because things do happen, infections do get into the networks. And you have larger networks; people do like to go to the internet for business-related purposes, and, you know, due to a drive-by or some sort of another hack on a legitimate website, you can get some sort of malware into your network.
0: Now, I understand that you're an early participant in a new healthcare security readiness program from Intel and VMware. How does that fit into what you've been doing, and does it complement sort of the ongoing risk risk assessments you've been doing? Where does this sort of fit in?
1: We use the cybersecurity framework and also use the critical infrastructure control to Build our program and what the Breach risk assessment and maturity assessment helps us do is go through a very thematic process of looking at things and seeing, you know, where they are and how we have implemented them. And, and it breaks everything into three different categories, whereas critical infrastructure controls each category into multiple categories up to seven or eight or ten. So what this actually helps us do is look at where we are. For example, it shows us from endpoint protection, we have basic endpoint protection, that's baseline. Do we have some sort of an advanced endpoint protection that's called enhanced? And what type of analytics do we have around it? Would we sort of consider the advanced type of the control? So it, it breaks everything into three different categories and helps us manage those things and say, okay, we can't do something advanced until we have done something that's considered enhanced or baseline type of security control. So that gives a pretty good avenue and also shows how we can provide this type of a monitoring or that type of a assessment to non-technical users so that they can also look at some of these categories and see where we are, where the industry is, and where we are lagging behind, where we are ahead of them, or where we are just simply up to par with them. Uh, Policies are big... area, risk assessments, uh, you know, email security. If you take some of these things, you can actually break it up into multiple things and walk through the IT people, the non-IT people, the the people who make decisions into how to look at some of these things, and they can easily see, look at number of categories and see where we are, and I can start with with an example. I talked about any Indian access management, I'll go back to that one example and try to Explain how we look at it. So you know you have a Indian access management where it says you know, you're provisioning your single factor authentication type of a, for example, user password, user ID and password is in place. That's considered a baseline control. And if you're looking at enhanced control, do you have two-factor or multi-factor authentication with a idle timeout? So for example, after five or ten minutes of use, or even shorter, in some cases, three minutes to four minutes. The screen locks out, or the application saves the data and logs out. So that's considered an enhanced control. Now you can look at an, an advanced control in the same category, where a user can have a uh, they log in, and then they can use some sort of a single sign-on type of a either a thumbprint or a proximity card, so that they can walk as they walk away from the computer, it automatically logs them out or puts them in a lockout position, and when they come back, they uh, they can tap and the screen will open up, and they can go back to wherever their data was. So they don't have to re-authenticate, research the user, and pull up the patient and see where they were. So those are some of the things that they can do. And there, you can see the progression of uh, security it adds to your environment just from using user ID and password to log in and then have to log out and walk away versus having you know, two-factor authentication where they have to provide a, a second piece of identification to get into the system which is one-time password or some other thing which cannot be easily stolen. So you add a layer of protection there. And then you add another layer of convenience to the user so they don't have to keep logging in and providing uh, multi-factor authentication numerous times because in the course of the day, an average user uh, usually logs in and logs out of a computer about 60 to 70 times. And also, depending on their type of work, it could be more. So that cuts down on amount of time they have to waste logging in, logging out, and adds a layer of security to it. The other big area that you need to understand is privileged user management, where your normal users follow a separate set of requirements, whereas your advanced or privileged users, meaning administrators of system, follow a different set of requirements when they log in and log out of the system to do administrative work. They have to use their basic user login to log in and conduct their daily work. But when they have to access systems to perform configuration changes, they should be using a separate set of credentials and those credentials are locked into what we call privileged account management systems and they don't have access to the password there. It will automatically generate a temporary password they can use to do their work and then that password expires and cannot be used again. So that's another area where, you know, there's a huge concern around how people with more access are actually Conducting their day to day activity because if their accounts compromised, then it's very easy for an intruder to get around the network and get into control systems. And the third big area is the database activity monitoring so that you need to make sure that people who get into the databases are using separate accounts to access databases and those accounts are also locked down. In addition to that, you're using some sort of activity monitoring solution. So if something were to start to happen, you can very quickly monitor it and take action around it, that this is not something that user normally does, so it's a, some sort of a deviation from the baseline and needs to be further investigated. Also, greatly could be the micro-segmentation type of a solution. If you have a system that needs to have limited communication with other systems, you can segment it out. But now with the, with the newer segmentation technology, you can actually take the same environment and then turn into a de facto multiple networks within the same data center, within the same, actually the same VM or your same virtualized solution, chassis or whatever, so that one system on the same environment has a system sitting next to it and doesn't even know about it, and both perform two different functions and are secured from uh, having any type of cross contamination. And there are a number of PCI areas that actually can be satisfied with this breach maturity. There are HIPAA type of controls that you can actually tally back to your basic risk assessments that you have conducted and look at even where the risk categories are and how you have looked at them and what type of ratings you have provided. And then following this methodology, coupling it with the cybersecurity framework and others, gives you a very good reference model to be able to gauge where you are and where you need to be. Because there are certain things that done right can help with multiple areas of securing the environment.
0: So Hussein, the healthcare security readiness program that, that's helping you with all these things you just spoke about?
1: Uh, yes. So we're using all the three things in order to uh, build your multi-year plans and we're in year one and year two of our planning and execution of larger controls that we need to have. For example, network visibility, to make sure whatever gets on our network, we have a very quick response time run. It shouldn't take us hours hour to detect an unauthorized computer on our network, and we need to be able to detect it very quickly. You know, network data loss protection type of a solution to be in place so we can monitor how data is going in and out of the computer systems. So for PCI-related activity, what do we need to do? How do we identify areas we need to De-identified data, or we need to tokenize the data to make sure that it's secured. These are some of the advanced controls that we are considering, and they are all, you know, measured in the security assessment.
0: Hussein, very briefly, just to wrap up, in terms of the sorts of cyber security threats that you're facing these days, what is most concerning to you right now? You hear a lot about cyber attacks involving ransomware, but then at the same time you have insiders that also pose big security risks. What's giving you the most trouble these days?
1: You say it's a combination of a number of things. You know, sometimes on an average you get distributed denial of service attacks on the network. Sometimes those are there just to uh, sort of deviate you from doing your normal work and then somebody can get into the network. The big areas that we are concerned with, you know, ransomware is on the top of the list. We have done a number of things to try to mitigate that risk, for example, locking down the server farms, removing wherever we could administrative access from the users. The ransomware is one big area, and the other big area is, you know, making sure that we have good disaster recovery and business continuity planning in place. There's a large emphasis on trying to make sure that, People understand what disaster recovery is and what business continuity planning is, and how they need to understand and do business impact analysis into their departments. That helps you know educate the users, educate the organization, and how reliant we are or how dependent we are on computer systems, and how quickly you know these systems can be compromised and become unavailable, and it can really impact the organization's ability to uh, dispense healthcare.
0: Thanks Hussein. I've been speaking to Hussein Saeed Siso of RWJ Barnabas Health. I'm Marianne Kobasak McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.